want to invite you to open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. That'll be our text this morning. If you don't have a Bible, I would hope you can take and use the Red Sea Bible that is sitting in front of you. We want you to see that what we're preaching is the Word of God. This morning, we're three weeks into a series in the book of Genesis, and we will finally be spending significant time in the book of Genesis. We spent the last two weeks basically introducing Genesis from a theological perspective, and we did so because we wanted you to understand two things. First, that Jesus validated this study in the Old Testament. That is to say that Jesus pointed out, and he wanted to make sure you understood that the entire Old Testament exists because it anticipates him. It points to him. It shows him. And it reveals him. Therefore, if you want to see Jesus in his fullness, you want to experience him in his fullness, you need to consider the Old Testament to get a full picture of who he is, of what he looks like. And then secondly, historically and biblically considered, there are things that the Bible reports is happening before Genesis 1-1. We want to acknowledge that. We want you to see that when you open up Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God to recognize that that's where Genesis starts. That's where creation begins. It's the beginning of time as we know it, but it's not the beginning of God, because God has no beginning. Remind me of Psalm 90, verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, whatever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. The psalmist affirms that God has always existed from infinity past to infinity future. God has always existed, and more than that, so is Jesus. I point you to John 1 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we want you to see as we step into the book of Genesis that God and His eternal attributes are just that. That they are eternal. That they go from the beginning to the end, from eternity past to eternity future. And then there's one more step we need to consider. One more step further in. That not only is God eternal, but His purpose. His purposes are eternal. Listen to me. What we want to hear is that God knew before the beginning of time that men would sin. It didn't catch them off guard. And God knew that there would be nothing you or I could do to resolve our sin. And you we have a sin problem, there's nothing we could do about it. So God knew he'd have to send a Savior. And the New Testament even confirms this, that God knew from eternity past that he would have to send his one and only Son to suffer and to die on behalf of sinners. To die in our place so as to justify our sins. And we need to see as we walk through all the scriptures that that was always God's plan. He had your redemption in mind before He created the whole earth, before He created everything, because that begins to outline for us when we walk through Genesis what was His purpose in creation. He's got a plan. And it really involved redeeming us, redeeming sinners so that we can have a right relationship with Him. And all of that happens, all that purpose. We'll see before Genesis 1, 1. And then finally, the last consideration, which flows from the second, is this. 
In the book of Genesis, from a biblical perspective, it answers the philosophical question of why is there something instead of nothing? Or well, more simply put, why are we here? Why is there not anything at all? And what Genesis does is it begins our worldview and it explains all of creation. Genesis tells us not only why there is something, but why you are part of that something. And if we lean into that further, it's because God created the world and He created man and He created you and He created me, and it's all for this great purpose of redemption. We'll see it as we keep moving through the book. So I want you to turn with me to Genesis 1-1 as we start into Genesis this morning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. In the beginning, God. The word here for God is the Hebrew word Elohim. It's a word that's used over 2,700 times in the Old Testament, and it points to this idea that God is the Mighty One, that He is the Supreme One. What it does for us is it quickly points us to God's sovereignty. It is an all-powerful nature, the very attribute that you will see on display as He begins creating. You see supremacy, you see power when He speaks something and it exists. What says God created the heavens and the earth? We have wondered how He did that. Well, to put it simply, God makes plain all this creation in verse 3 through 31, which He will spell out for us in a very theocentric way. Which is to say that the whole chapter, and frankly, the whole Bible, is primarily about God. And we need to have that vision. What Genesis 1 is, is it's primarily about God and who He is. Which is to say, it's not about the creation. It's a secondary issue, and it's not about the process of creation. That's a secondary issue. It was given to us that we would know more about our Creator. I'm not saying we know more about the process of creation. Books upon books have been written trying to read between the lines of these verses. And if you allow me, I'll step into a brief and just say this. That the so- sovereign God of the universe explains creation. And what He's given us, if we pay attention to it, is so incredibly majestic that I want to bid you to just enjoy what He's given us, to marvel at it, and ultimately to trust Him and to worship Him for what He's given us. And by the way, that's not a call to ignore silence. And that's not a call to stop worshiping with your brain. Rather, I believe it's a call to flesh out an application of Hebrews 11.3, which is this. By faith. By faith. That means you won't see all the evidence. That means you're going to take God as if He's true. You're going to take God and you're going to understand that what He says is true. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, we trust that God spoke 
the universe into existence. The text is about him. It's about his sovereignty. It's about who he is. And so by faith, let's continue in Genesis 1 2. The earth was without form and void, and the darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, what you see here is that God first creates the earth, and He does so without form. It was void, and it was dark. It's as if God, in His process of creation, opens a can of Play-Doh and dumps it on the table. And He acknowledges that, right? Play-Doh. Now, let's work on it. And I want to ask you this question. Could God have created the earth perfectly in one breath? Absolutely, he could. Absolutely, he could have said, everything like the Grand Canyon did. And it would have been awesome. But he doesn't. No, God uses a process, and he even details the process out for us. And even when you look at verse 2, you start to see a hope start to be true. You see it there at the very end. Because as the Plato is sitting on the table, you see the next part of that verse. The Spirit of God was hovering. The Spirit of God was about to move. God was eager with anticipation. He was going to start to bring form and start to bring fullness to that which did not have form and was empty. And I want you to start to consider this pattern as we start in. Because in Genesis 1-2, you see a dark, unformed void, and you see God eager to move. And to give you a little snapshot, by the end, by Genesis 2-4, you will see a beautiful creation at rest, blessed and sanctified by God. And I want you to see that, and I want you to consider that, because even in creation, God has given us this huge picture that He's a Redeemer. That He will redeem everything. He'll bring everything to full redemption. And you see that even in creation, God takes that which falls short, that which is null, that which is void, and He makes it into complete beauty. Friends, you can see what He does here. And to know for certain that there is no single part of your life that he can't take, that he can't reform, that he can't reshape, that he can't sanctify for his glory because the Spirit of God is ready to move. But for the edification of creation, we're to see it and see it characteristic of God, to see God as a redeemer. So let's watch him redeem his creation. Let's watch him work. So in verse 3, we see the first day of creation. This is one story. God said, let there be light, and there was light. Friends, we need a marvel at that. Let there be light. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever stood in a stadium with no lights on. And of course, it's still a lot of good. Darkness. It's a complete light. 
And we need to be reminded that the Creator, which Colossians 1.16 confirms to us, is Jesus, right? He's the agent of creation. Colossians 1.15-16 says this, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, that for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. So what you see as a picture of Jesus Christ is Him speaking, and what He speaks comes comes into existence. Let there be light, and light was created. And is that not a small picture of God's sovereignty at work? This is majestic power. This is a verse that we should stare at, that we should consider its full implication and its full rule over all creation. God speaks, and it happens. The text continues, verse 4. God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness, and He called the light day, and the darkness He called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. God created and God declares it was good. That's another truth we need to hold on to. That what God creates, He confirms. What God creates, He validates. What God makes, He makes absolutely on purpose, intentionally, and that includes you. That makes it. And he declares it good. And on that first day, he created day and night. And of course, not at least point out that he creates light long before he creates the sun, which he does on the fourth day. Which means God creates the effect before he creates the source. That tells us something about God. And what it shows us is that God doesn't need the 93 million miles that light needed to travel to Earth to make it an issue. God was able to overcome that. He didn't need all the time that it would take for light to get here. God just said, light. And it happened. What that shows us is God's ability to create with the appearance of age, and that's an entirely different term. It has implications to this little section. And finally, to save the questions that we ask after the sermon, we should talk about the word day. The Hebrew word for day is the word yom. There are places in Scripture where yom is used very clearly to describe a literal day. And there are places in the Old Testament where it is used to describe an age or a period of time. The distinction, however, is when the word yom is modified by a numeric adjective. So it's technical, it isn't. When you see the word first, second, 38, 93rd, it doesn't matter. When you see yom modified by an adjective, consistently through the Old Testament, it's always pointing to the word of Therefore, I see no reason when reading and studying God's word to not accept this as a literal, literal six day creation. Do that with whatever you want. It's a argument here. Right? Day 2, verse 6. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, 
and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And so it was, and God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning on that second day. What you see on the second day is Jesus, the agent of creation, separated out the atmosphere from the water. God lifts the sky, and creation begins to take form. It begins to that which is formless and given form. He lifts the sky up. And we see his power. We see his sovereignty at work. The three of us know and God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered into one place. And let the dry land appear, and it was so. God created the dry land of earth. Or God called the dry land of earth. And the waters that were gathered together, he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation. Plants will seen. The fruit trees bearing fruit, and which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants, yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, and which is their seed, each according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. And it was evening and it was morning that third day. And what you see is Jesus separating the land from the sea. He's bringing form to creation. And his sovereignty is actually so, so thorough, it's so broad, it's so rich, that even in his power, you start to see creativity. And you see that in the display of creation of plants and fruit trees. What you see is the beginning to prepare the earth for humans, as he prepares to feed us. To not feed us poorly, but to feed us in abundance, with a variety of things for us to eat. Because I want you to consider this day and every day as we consider His sovereignty, particularly in regards to His creativity, consider this. Scientists have named over 391,000 different varieties of plants. That's a lot. That's not like a grass. Kentucky bluegrass buffalo. That's all we have. And to be fair, that's all we have, we'd marvel at it, wouldn't we? Here's the thing, you may not appreciate Kentucky bluegrass. It's marvelous. God also created 2,000 different kinds of fruit trees. There are known to be some 2,000 different kinds of fruit trees, and even to that, I would add, there are some 7,500 varieties of apples. What commentator I read specifically pointed out of creation that the most striking thing to him is not the number of plants he created, but the variety of color he created on the table as well. Because previously there had been black, gray, and blue, considering the night, the sky, and the water, still with no sun, mind you. But on day three, Jesus brings beauty greens, and reds, and yellows, and pinks. Oranges and bananas and pineapples. And it was good. Day 4, verse 14. And 
God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let there be for signs and for the seasons and for days and years. You see a creation of order. God had all of that in mind. It wasn't just, Oh, sun, a star here and there. God brought complete order to the universe. And let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to be light upon the earth, and it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars. Kind of crazy understatement. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, and rule over the day and of the night, and separate the light from the darkness. And God saw it was good. And there was evening and there was morning before day. And it's the other four days, God created the sun, moon, and all of the stars. Now, again, it should be noted that estimated there are 10 billion galaxies in the observable universe. That is what we can see. We're going with 10 billion galaxies. And from that, we estimate that each galaxy could contain an average of 100 billion stars. Which is to say, when God decided to break the earth, put us on the redeem us, he decided to make it a creation so big that it had somewhere in the neighborhood of a billion trillion stars. But do you understand, we are still finding out the enormity and the beauty of this creation. But we're still starting to get a glimpse of, whoa, wait a second, it's getting bigger all the time. Wait, we're finding more. And he starts to see the enormity, not only of his sovereignty and of his creativity, but his beauty on display. His desire for you to find enjoyment, for you to worship him as you consider all that he's made. You might do yourself a favor and subscribe to the NASA image of the day. A friend of mine, growing up the college, that was responsible for that. It's every once in a while I see it, and I'm reminded of Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. Friends, we don't just find testimony to who God is in our Bibles. We find His fingerprints all over the universe. So we must consider His sovereignty. He created the sun, moon, and stars, and it was good. Verse 20 and 5. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the sea, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and morning on the fifth day. What you start to see in day five is that God has created a formless earth and He's given it form, He's given it structure, and now He's going to fill it. He's going to fill the water. And he's going to fill the sky, which means God in his infinite creativity puts out fish and dolphins and whales and seals and alligators and crocodiles and why they're different, I don't know. 
And God said, Behold, I give you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And every beast of the earth, and every bird of the heavens, and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. That's the bad news. We're paying attention to Dr. Anderson and his parents. I'm struggling with that all week. It isn't until after Noah that we're actually allowed and then encouraged to start eating animals. I'm really struggling with that this week. However, it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good, and there was evening and there was morning on the sixth day. Different from everything else he made. More majestic than anything you can find in creation. Jesus created man. Mankind. He did it in his image. He did it after his likeness. He created it distinct from everything else in creation. He created it to dominion. He created it to rule. And in verse 28, you're given a command. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. And God said, it is very good. Now, if I'm honest with you, there's only seven more serial sermons that we found in day six. And probably more like three series. But again, the focus of this text is we take it for what it says. Is the Creator. It's on His majesty. It's about His power. It's about His sovereignty. It's about a God who speaks things into existence. And if you wonder more about the creation of man, Moses gives us a deeper dive on that in chapter 2, which will be in next week. So come back. We'll finally receive day 7 in chapter 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy, because on it God rested from all of his work that he had done on creation. On the seventh day, God rested. And if you follow this from beginning to end, you see the earth formless and empty. And by the end of it, by the work of His hand, by the work of His redemption, you see, that which had been empty and void was now beautiful and full of life. All because of the sovereignty, the power, and the creativity of Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, you see Him in a full array of His power. And if you walk away from here this morning, having spent time in the first chapter of the book of Genesis, there are two things I want you to walk away with. There are two things that I think are unmistakable in this text. And the first of which is you see the fullness of his redemptive work. You see it fully on display from beginning to end. 
And we're to be edified by that. We're to be encouraged by that. We're to look at our lives and wonder, and I feel void. Can you shape us? Let's look at that form. Let's look at the right direction. And see if God who progresses. Are you making perfectly the first day? Are you not? He could have made it so that the moment you believe in Jesus Christ, instantaneous, full sanctification, full glorification, man, aren't you awesome? A full picture of Jesus right there. But he didn't, did he? Now, he's taking you through a process of reshaping you, of filling you. And if you walk away from here this morning, I want you to see and appreciate the fullness of His sovereignty. His ability to create with words. His complete command over absolutely everything. And from that, to recognize how often we make the mistake of Romans 1. How often are we tempted to worship the creation rather than the Creator? That we could spend all of our time marveling at the creation and miss the Creator. We could spend all of our time worshiping the creation and miss the Creator. There's every single false religion and every idol is based on this. Like, look through all of Greek mythology. Like, the worship the sun, it's a great idea. It's a creation. There's a polemic sense to Genesis 1. Look at it, the worship the sea, Neptune, the god of the waters. It's a creation. Let's worship baseball. It's a sport. It's a creation. It does not matter what you give your life to. If it isn't God and ultimately Jesus Christ, you're worshiping the creation and not the creator. You're worshiping Christ. And isn't that foolish? Because we need to recognize that God took his time to bring faith and fullness to creation. And we need to recognize that the Lord God, Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, is still at work. That the Spirit of God is hovering and he's ready to move. That he's still in the process of redeeming you, of bringing you the full redemption. Genesis 1. The purpose. Father, thank you that you love us so much. That you sent your son. The agent of creation who made everything by breathing out, by speaking its name, 
how much do we limit the power of Jesus in our lives? So if you can't handle this, you can't accept that. He doesn't see this. He doesn't know that. He doesn't know what I'm walking through. He doesn't know what I'm going through. How much do we limit Jesus? He sees everything. And can fully create, fully redeem, and fully renew, and fully restore. He can that which is empty and make it full. He can that which is sacred and give it order. Jesus, we worship you for all that you've done. We worship you for this beautiful planet that you've given us. And we, we confess that there are times when our worship of the creation misses you as the creator. And may you help us to see that little string that ties you to everything around us that we enjoy. That ties you as being the creator of everything around us. As we consider your power, as we consider your redemption, Jesus is our heart's desire to worship you. And to give you thanks that not only have you saved us, but that you're at work with me in this still. And for all of us, would you give us the hope that the Spirit of God is still hovering ready to move? That we would yield ourselves to you. That you would redeem us more and more and more and more. That we be built up in the knowledge of who you are and sent out in the fullness of yourself. It was only great.